Hello, welcome to the podcast of Chesbro Baptist Church. We're continuing in our Sunday morning series on the Beatitudes. Today we are on hungering and thirsting for righteousness. The title of the message this morning is A Habitual Hunger. Please enjoy. Matthew chapter 5. We're just going to jump right into the message. Let me have you, if you're physically able, one last time, let me get you to stand, inspect and reverence to the Word of God as we read the Scripture. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 1, When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, or the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And then today's verse, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. The title of the message this morning is A Habitual Hunger. Let's pray. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you once again for your word and for giving us revelation from heaven. Sometimes I don't think we realize the the significance of the book that we hold in our hands or even if it's an app on a phone, the words that are in in that phone, Lord. They're powerful. They're alive. Lord, this is a living, breathing book, and I thank you for giving man revelation from heaven. May the Holy Spirit bless us through the words of Christ this morning. Be with your people. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. So what I want to do is, once again, I just want to review. And I want us to see how this is the progression of the growth of a Christian. So where we started out at is we started out where every Christian starts out and where every Christian needs to stay, and that's poverty in spirit. And what you have to do is you have to understand that you are spiritually bankrupt. You have nothing to offer God. The next step we went over is mourning. This mourning is a mourning of sin. It is a that leads to a true repentance. And then that leads to meekness. Now, meekness is a state of humbleness before God, humbleness before man. It's power under control. It's self-control. It's self-discipline. And that's what meekness is. Now, what I want to show you this morning is I want to show you what we're actually doing is we're growing a plant. Has anybody got any green thumbs? Any, Any green thumbs in here? My mom used to make me get in her flower garden, and I was not happy, especially pulling weeds. It was not my thing. It was not my bag. But we're, we're actually, we're growing a plant today because what we've got here is first we've got the root system. Poverty of spirit, mourning over sin, meekness before God and man. These are the roots. From these roots springs a life. And this life is a life that hungers and thirsts for righteousness. Think about a plant that springs forth from a root system. And what it needs is it, it, it needs the nutrients and it needs sunlight and it needs water. It hungers and thirsts. And this plant produces fruit. We haven't went over the fruit yet, but the fruit is uh, peace and, and purity. 
And, and these are the things that are the fruit. Is, the fruit is mercy, purity, and peace. So we've got the root, the root system, poverty, mourning, meekness. The life that springs forth from that is a life that hungers and thirsts for righteousness. And the fruit that it produces, uh, mercy, purity, peace. And then because of that, you will be persecuted. That is the Beatitudes. Okay? So where we're at today, we are at hungering and thirsting for righteousness. You know, it's always nice when the child likes what the parents like. The other day, I thought I'm just going to be Mr. Husband. I'm going to be super dad. And I'm going to cook supper for my wife. I'm going to do that. And uh, I, she, I had to pick her up off the floor. She was so surprised. And so I said, I'm going to cook, cook dinner for my wife. Now, when it comes to dad cooking dinner, the menu's not very big. Okay, basically, you've got spaghetti and burgers. Now, I can cook other things, but those are the things I cook really well. So I default to those two things. So it's like, okay, we're going to cook burgers. And so I buy all this stuff. I had to buy all new, all new condiments because of the hurricane. We had to throw all ours out. So I had to buy all new stuff, and I had everything ready, and I had the burgers made out, and I went and got Emily and brought her home, and I started, you know, this is your birthday week, honey. Sit down. I'm going to cook everything. And so I'm, 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 I'm cooking dinner, and I slice up a tomato. I bought a couple tomatoes. We're eating burgers. So we get done eating, and I notice I'm the only one eating tomatoes. I bought all these tomatoes. And I'm like, is nobody else in this house like tomatoes? And all three of them were like, no, we do not like tomatoes. And so I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to throw the, I throw some of them away. Uh, they didn't like what I like, but that's okay. You know, they don't, kids don't always do that. But I will say that they do like, my, my boys like a lot of the things I like. I mean, we, we like, they like wrestling like dad does, and we play video games. We even watch cartoons together, cartoons that I, the good cartoons, back when I was a kid, okay? None of this new stuff, okay? And so, that, you know, so I like it when my kids like what I like. What I want to show you this morning is God blesses you when you want what God wants. God blesses you when you want what God wants. And I want you to keep that in mind as we go through the message this morning. I've got three observations about this verse. I'm going to give them to you, and I'm going to be done. And that sounds like I won't be long, but you know me. It probably doesn't mean that. Okay, but I'm not going to try to keep you all day. But I've got three quick observations about this verse. Number one, we're going to talk about a relentless hunger. A relentless hunger. I want you to think about when you're hungry. And there are three things about hunger that hunger is a sign of. The first thing that hunger is a sign of is a hunger, hunger is a need. Hunger is a need. Think about when you are hungry. You are in pain. Hunger is pain, okay? It, it, it is pain, and what you're doing is your body is telling you, you need this. 
the stomach's growling, the golden arches are coming up in the window, the steering wheel starts to go over in the turning lane. Hunger is, is a need. Your body's telling you you need something. Over in Luke 6, we have a mirror passage to this verse, and it gives another element to this statement. Luke 6.21 says, Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. It adds the word now. This is an immediate hunger. This is an immediate thing. I have to have it now. Then we look down at verse 25 in Luke 6, and it says, Woe to you who are well fed now, for you shall be hungry. And basically what this is saying is that if you're not hungry now, there's a problem. If you're not hungry now, there's an issue. If you're not chasing after this, if this isn't your life's pursuit, if this isn't your life's goal, there's an issue. If you're not hungry for it now, then one day you will be hungry for it and it won't be available to you. The night cometh when no man can work. But if you are hungry now, you'll get it now. But if you're not hungry for it now, woe to you. Because one day you'll be hungry and you won't, you won't get it. It'll be nowhere to be found. Okay? I want you to listen to what David wrote in Psalms 42. He says, As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Like a deer needs a creek to survive. He needs that babbling brook. He needs that water flowing for him to survive. You have to have it. You need it that bad. It is that important to you. What hunger is, hunger is an intense desire that motivates action. And when you are hungry, nothing else will do. If you're in the middle of Sahara Desert and I come to you and I say, look, I can give you, uh, I, I can give you uh, a billion dollars worth of precious jewels or I can give you the, this food and drink, what are you going to do? You're going to take the Happy Meal. You're going to take the food and drink because what good is a billion dollars in jewels if you can't, if you're thirsty and you've got nothing to drink? What good is it? Psalms 84, 2. My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. You want righteousness so bad that it hurts. You will not survive without it. And when we look at the church today, do we see this in the church? No, we do not see this. What we see is apathy. You say, oh, you know, I, that's a, you know, I'm, I'm, you know uh, I don't need that much of God. I don't need that much. I've got my weekly snack. Snacking on God is not enough. You have to consume a meal every day. Are you going to be spiritually anemic? It's snacking on God is not enough. It is not the, the intense hunger and thirst and desire that David speaks of. Hunger is a sign of a need. You need it. 
You know, another thing is the hunger is a sign of life, is a sign of life. My mom loves to tell this story. When she was pregnant with me, she craved my Aunt Linda's chicken and dumplings. So every single day, she would go to my Aunt Linda and she would make chicken and dumplings. Now, my Aunt Linda, she makes awesome chicken and dumplings, probably even better than my mom. Glad my mom doesn't have internet, she can't see. But, uh, but uh, she, she makes really good chicken and dumplings, and she would eat chicken and dumplings every day. So she would say, it's no surprise, when I came out, I came out looking like a chicken dumpling. Okay? She said, it's no surprise for that. But then also, I, have, I, I come out eating chicken dumplings. I, I, I love it. But here's what I want to say, is no one has to teach a newborn baby to come out and be hungry. You do not have to teach an infant to be hungry. Why? Because hunger is a sign of life. Where there is hunger, there is life. A dead person is not hungry. A dead body cannot be hungry. Ezekiel 36, 26 says... Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. When you are redeemed, when you are reconciled to the Father, you are given a new heart, you are given a new desire, you are given a, a new hunger, you are made a new creature. Ephesians 4.22 says that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. See, you're, 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 this hunger for righteousness means that you are spiritually alive and not spiritually dead. I'm here to tell you today that a Christian, or that more specifically, a hunger for righteousness is a sign of your salvation. It is a sign that you are a child of God. If every day you do not yearn for God to some degree, you really need to look at your salvation. Are you a child of God to begin with? Do you have any desire whatsoever for righteousness and for God, because hunger is a sign of life. You know, another thing is hunger is a sign of uh, health. Somebody's in the hospital, and they start to eat less and less. There's a, there's a problem. And they eat less and less, and they get to the point where they're being spoon-fed or they're being intravenously fed, then we've got a problem. And then we get, and then you've got people that won't eat at all. And that's right, the writing's on the wall. But man, when you're in the hospital and you start to eat a little more and you start to clean your plate a little more and the doctor notices that those plates coming into the room are leaving empty, the doctor comes up and said, hey, it looks like we're headed in the right direction. Man, you're getting your appetite back. This is a sign of health. If you have a healthy appetite for God, 
and for his righteousness, what that is an indicator of, it's an indicator of your spiritual health. So first, we have a relentless pursuit. Now, number two, I want you to see we have a holy passion. We have a holy passion. So we're talking about righteousness. So what is righteousness? What is the definition of righteousness? Righteousness is being correct. By implication, that means you are innocent. Thus, it means you are right. That is what righteousness means. It means that you are correct, you are innocent, and you are right. Now, I want you to keep in mind that in the Bible, we have two types of righteousness. We have righteousness before God and righteousness before man. So we've got these two ways to be innocent, correct, and right before God, and then to be innocent, correct, and right before man. Now, let me make this statement. Righteousness is something we are because of our actions. What righteousness is. Righteousness is something we are because of our actions. Now, for some of you, a flag might pop up when I say that. Actions, what are you talking about actions? Is that works? No, 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 no. Let me explain, okay? Give me just a second to explain. If I'm honest with you and I do right by you and I treat you the right way and I treat you the way the Bible says to treat you, then you could say of me that I'm righteous. And if you did that to me, I could say of you that you are righteous. That is righteous by actions, okay? Being righteous before God is a different situation altogether. It is completely different. Because what we find out in this Bible is that our actions are not good enough. Our actions are not good enough. Even though righteousness is defined by our actions, this Bible says that our actions are not good enough. Let me read for you Isaiah 64, 6. For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. That's how God sees our deeds. That's how God sees our actions as filthy Uh, leprosy-ridden, rotten rags, and not just our deeds, our best deeds, our righteous deeds. He sees them as filthy rags. The Jews believed that you are righteous before God and man by obeying the law, by following the letter of the law, by following the rule of the law, That is how you are righteous before God, and that is how you're righteous before man. But then Paul comes along, and he says in Romans 3.20, listen to this. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. Now, you can take works of the law out and put in actions. But by your actions, no flesh will be justified in his sight. Okay, so, right, so your actions, your, your righteousness before God, it doesn't work. Okay, well then, how can I be righteous before God? 
Paul answers it in the very next verse, Romans 3.21. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Listen to this. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So how do I have a righteous standing before God as a believer? How does a righteous standing to God come to me? It comes by faith. It comes by faith. Through faith to all who believe. This is righteous standing before God. It's not my actions that does this. It is my faith. Okay? My faith puts me in good standing with God. So there are two types of righteousness. The first type of righteousness is called positional righteousness. Positional righteousness is that is our righteousness before God. It means I am in good standing. I'm in right standing with God. Before God, I am, I am correct. I am right. And I will even go as far as to say that before God, I am innocent because of my faith. I have imputed righteousness. Christ's righteousness has come on me. And here's just some scripture for this. 2 Corinthians 5.2 He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Okay? Romans 4.5 But to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. So before God, for that positional righteousness, what I need for that is faith. My actions aren't going to do that. Okay. The next type of righteousness is we're going to call personal righteousness. Some people call this practical righteousness. I like the term personal because it, you're dealing with other people. Now, if you notice, I'm making the sign of the cross, and that's not an accident, okay? And so we have this personal righteousness. Personal righteousness is how I act to man, how I act to another person. This is personal righteousness. Here's some scripture for this one. 1 Timothy 6.11, But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. 1 Peter 1.14, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which yours in uh, your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So when Jesus said, hunger for righteousness, uh, he did not differentiate between the two. He didn't say, be hungry for positional righteousness, be hungry for practical righteousness. That is uh, not at all what he said. But, but I, I, he didn't differentiate between the two. But what, what I want you to see is that this is a Christian a Christian has a hunger and a drive for this, these two types of righteousness. A Christian has a hunger and a drive for a positional right standing before God and praises the Lord when they, when they get to that point, when they receive it. 
by faith, this positional righteousness. And then this Christian also has a hunger and a drive for a right standing with man. So I want to be right before God. I want to be right before man. All right, so now that I have this righteousness in my life as a Christian, I have positional righteousness, I have practical righteousness, now what do I do with it? You know, what do you do with it? What now? Okay, well, it's funny that in the, you know, the righteousness, the word righteousness is mentioned in the book of Matthew. Can anyone guess how many times righteousness is mentioned in Matthew? Seven. Very good. I don't know how y'all knew that. But righteousness is mentioned in Matthew seven times. Five of those times is in the Sermon on the Mount, what we're, what we're talking about. So it would be wrong of us not to continue to look at righteousness in the sermon that Jesus is preaching here. Okay, so this is the first time he's mentioning righteousness. Let's take a quick look at the other four times he's mentioning righteousness. Matthew 5.10. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs in the king is, uh, is the kingdom of heaven. So what he's saying is, this life, the roots, the life, the fruit, all this fruit are different forms of righteousness. This life is going to produce righteousness and this world's going to hate you for it. They're going to persecute you for it. They're going to hate what you have, okay? You're going to be hated because the world doesn't understand you. You are foreign to this world. And the more righteous you are, the more you'll be persecuted. But also, but that's because the more righteous you are, the more heaps of coals you're going to put on their head. But here's the thing about this persecution. This persecution, is, it, it should not stop you from seeking after righteousness. It should push you on more. Because you will continue to hunger and you will continue to thirst for it. So it doesn't stop you. It makes you want it more. Now you go to Matthew 5.20. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter in the kingdom of heaven. We cannot be more personally righteous than the Pharisees were. They bled the law. They uh, followed the law so closely. They wore scripture boxes on their head. Look, in, in, in Israel uh, years, years ago, a, they, they were so to the law that a fire broke out in an apartment building on the Sabbath. And so they went to the rabbi and asked if they could call the fire department because when you pick up a phone, it breaks an electrical current, and that's work. And it took the rabbi 30 minutes to say that it's okay to call the fire department. By the time they called the fire department, the fire had already spread to the surrounding apartment complexes. Okay, And that's, that's just a little taste of, 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 of down to the letter of the law that the Pharisees were, okay? And Jesus said, unless you have a greater righteousness than them, you can't enter into the kingdom of heaven, okay? We have a different kind of righteousness. We can't beat them in degree of righteousness, but we can beat them in kind of righteousness. We have a different kind of righteousness. 
We do not have a legalistic, law-based, rule-based righteousness. Our righteousness is based on, on grace, okay? It, it, it's the Holy Spirit working out of us. That's what uh, this righteousness is. You do not get holy by preaching holiness. You get holy by preaching Christ. You are not going to get holy and obey this book by me shoving rules down your throat. That is not what, what it is. It's not about a legalistic, law-based, follow the rule book or we'll kick you out of the church. That is not what this is. You preach Christ. Let me read for you 1 Corinthians 1.30. It is because of Him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. So he is not only our redemption, he is our holiness, he is our righteousness, and that grows from the inside out. That's, that's how this works. You don't obey this book because somebody gives you a rule book to follow. You obey this book because you love Christ. Because you love him. There's a difference between loving your mom and dad because they'll whoop you and loving your mom and dad because you, they don't want to hurt you. You, they, you, you don't want to hurt their feelings because you love them, okay? It comes from a place of love and not from a place of legalism. And that's important about this righteousness, okay? We're not going to meter out rule books for you to follow. We're going to give you the Bible and you obey this Bible because Christ is inside of you and gave you that desire to obey the Bible. And you do it out of love, not legalism. The next verse is Matthew uh, 6, 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. The Pharisees put on a show. Jesus said, don't do that. You will be seen doing good works, but do not do good works to be seen. You will be seen doing good works, but do not do good works to be seen. A righteousness that points to God is a godly righteousness. A righteousness that points back to you is self-righteousness. There is no reward here. For self-righteousness. It is not fulfilling. And because it's not fulfilling, it's not the type of righteousness that's being promoted in our text verse. Look, he said back in, in the same sermon, back in Matthew 16, he says, let your light so shine before men. But here he says, uh, don't, don't do to be seen of men. Is that a contradiction? No, it's not a contradiction. Because there is a difference between letting your light shine and shining the light on yourself. There's a difference between the two. Now the last time that he mentions this is in Matthew 6.33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What Christ is saying here, He's asking the question, is physical, is your physical well-being worthy enough to be your life's pursuit? 
If it is, then you worship then you worship mammon. You worship money. If your physical well-being is your life's pursuit, you worship mammon. But if you seek righteousness, he will take care of your physical well-being. But here's the thing. When people preach that verse, what they focus on is the physical well-being. I'll add all these other things to you. And they don't focus on the fact is you'll also get the righteousness that you seek after. Okay, so this is what he wants us. But through all of this, he is saying that your pursuit and your passion as a Christian should be a hunger and thirst for godly righteousness, both with God and with man. Where's your passion aimed at today? Where's your passion aimed at? Next, number three, we have a glorious prospect. A glorious prospect. Let's read the verse again. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. There's a paradox here. And the paradox here is Jesus talking about being hungry and being satisfied at the same time. Man, I tell you what, sometimes you can leave that. And I love the China Buffet, as you can tell. And uh, I, love, I love it. But, uh, you know, sometimes you walk out of there and you're like, man, I'm not going to eat for three days. Uh, I just, I, I can't do it. I, I can't do it. So you can eat to the point to where you're full, to where you're satisfied and you're no longer hungry. But Jesus speaks of a hunger and a satisfaction that exists at the same time. The more you're hungry and thirsty, the more you're filled. And the more you're filled, the more you're hungry and thirsty. This is the dynamic growth of a Christian. I hunger and thirst so I can experience Christ. And the more I experience Christ, the more I hunger and thirst. And this cycle repeats over and over and over throughout all your years until the point where your faith becomes sight. That's the dynamic growth in the life of a Christian. A.W. Tozer said, to have found God and still pursue him is the soul's paradox of love. To have found him and still pursue him. To know him and still hunger and thirst for him. That word filled is a word that means saturated. In the Feast of the Tabernacles, when Jesus told his disciples he wouldn't go, he wasn't talking about the temple ceremony. He was talking about building booze in the wilderness. He didn't go to that portion of that because as he was God, it wasn't time for him to attend that part because the booze hadn't come yet. That's coming later. That'll come in Revelation. But he, he, he went to the ceremony at the temple. When he went to the ceremony at the temple, what the priest would do is the priest would take a vessel, walk down to the pool of Siloam, and they would fill it up with water. As they're walking back to the temple, they're singing the Psalms of Ascension, which is Psalms 120 through 135. They would sing these songs. When they would get to the temple, they would take the water and they would pour out the water around the temple. And this was a symbol not only of God uh, giving them plenty of water to drink in the wilderness, but also asking God to bless their harvest. It was at this point Jesus 
decided publicly to say, if any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Now, of course, this is a reference to salvation. If you are thirsty, come and drink of him. He will quench that thirst. He will put in your belly, in your heart, a spring of living water, which is the Holy Spirit. But man, Christian, don't miss this. It's not a one-time drink. It's a one-time salvation. But after that, you can keep coming back and you can keep drinking and that righteousness will keep flowing in you. And as it flows in you, it flows out of you. That righteousness will flow out of you. You keep coming back for more. All the fruits of the Holy Spirit are forms of righteousness. And it flows in and out of you freely. But dear brother and sister, I'm here to tell you today, one day you will be filled and you will stay full. One day there will be no more thirsting. One day there will be no more hunger. Revelation 7.15, Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. Why won't we hunger anymore? Why won't we thirst anymore? Because He's going to lead us to springs of living water. We will be satisfied. Why? Because it's at this time He will give us fully and completely the righteousness that we seek. At this point, he's going to do us. This is the great promise of the gospel. This is the end of the gospel promise. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. There is coming a day when you will not be burdened by sin anymore. He will bring us to completion and we will have our sanctification will be absolutely complete and we will have that perfect righteousness that He has promised us. Jeremiah, when talking about the end days, calls Him the Lord our righteousness. So if you are in Christ and Christ is in you, then not only do you have a hunger and thirst for righteousness, but dear brother and sister, you have a hunger and thirst for righteousness that one day will be fully satisfied. And the holiness that Christ has began, that good work that began in you on the day of your salvation, and as you grow and that cycle repeats and it repeats over and over, and on that day when your faith becomes sight, you will be a complete, sanctified, holy work, free from sin. And not only your sin, but free from all the sin that is around you. Sin will be nowhere. The new heaven and the new earth will be the home of righteousness. Is that your desire? Only if you see a need. There was a doctor. And he dedicated his life to dementia and Alzheimer's. He went to work at this hospital and he worked in this wing of the hospital that was dedicated 
to this disease of dementia, okay? And Alzheimer's is just another form of dementia. So he was dedicated his life and worked for decades in this hospital, in this field of study. One day, he got older, and he got dementia. And eventually, they put him in a room in this wing where he practiced medicine. Everybody worked there still knew him. So being in this familiar environment, every day he woke up, he thought he was at work. So he would put on a lab coat, and he would make rounds, and he would talk to other doctors, and he would talk to patients. Now, even though he had dementia and really didn't know what was going on, his medical advice was still pretty good. So they just let him do it. They just let him continue to work in the hospital that he worked in for so many years. One day, he walked into a room and he did what he always does. He would pick up charts and read people's charts and tell the nurses, give them his advice, tell their attending doctors his advice. But one day he picked up a chart and read the name on it, and it was his name. And he read the chart, and he began to weep because he was a doctor, and he knew what it meant. He understood what this chart meant that was under his name. He recognized his need. Do you recognize your need today for righteousness? Do you recognize it? If you've never come to Christ, if you've never accepted Him, do you recognize that your sin needs to be forgiven? Do you recognize you need to be reconciled and redeemed to the Father? Do you recognize that you need Jesus to forgive your sins and wash them away and make you a child of God? To the Christian I say today, do you recognize your need to pursue righteousness in your life? Are you snacking on God? Are you spiritually anemic? Are you feasting on God? Are you feasting on that righteousness? Is that your life's pursuit? Look, if you recognize your need, thank God. Because it's the Holy Spirit that gave you an awareness for it. And if you have that desire in you, Christ is the one who gave you that desire so he can have a relationship with you. Now for the invitation today, I don't usually do this. But when we pray, I'm actually going to read a prayer. I'm going to read a prayer by A.W. Tozer. And as you hear the words of this prayer, I want you to make this your prayer. And during the invitation... If you want to come to the altar, you may do so. If you want to meditate and do business with God at your pew, I beg you to do it. Do you recognize your need for righteousness? Do you recognize that you have to hunger and thirst and be like that deer that pants for the water brook. You need it. You need it to survive. You can't do without the righteousness of God. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Let us pray. 
Oh God, I have tasted Thy goodness and it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. I am painfully conscious of my need for further grace. I am ashamed of my lack of desire. O oh God, the triune God, I want to want Thee. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. Show me Thy glory, I pray Thee, so that I may know Thee indeed. Begin in me a mercy, a, in mercy, a new work of love within me. Say to my soul, rise up my love, my fair one, and come away. And then give me grace to rise up and follow thee from this misty lowland where I have wandered so long. Dear Lord, give us this hunger. Give us this desire. In Jesus' name I pray.